if nothing else is communicated from that video this morning, I hope that you understand that even your leaders at church are in the struggle with you. That we face temptations of many kinds, trials, tribulations, that that crushing and that pressing that we just sang about. We live it. Our struggle, Scripture says, and it is a struggle at times. And you're not alone. I had a sense this morning, uh, I think the Lord probably laid it on my heart, that there are some of you here today that are smack dab in the middle of that crushing and that pressing. You're living it right now. And it may feel like it's painful and hurtful, but I want to offer some hope through God's word today if, if I could. You see, each of us struggle with different temptations. Your leaders struggle with a variety of things. You saw it, pride, lust, complaining, comparison, insecurity. And believe it or not, it's our job to, to pray and read the Bible, right? I mean, we get paid to do it, and yet here we are, we struggle as well. Sometimes the temptations that we face are more obvious. The words that we speak out loud, the things that we view on screens, the way we spend our time, but oftentimes the things we struggle with are below the surface, our pride, our thought life. Sometimes we struggle with what's beneath the surface, thinking that maybe someone else doesn't struggle as well or that we're alone. From a very early, early, very early age, we are marketed to and we are told that life is essentially a pleasure quest to, to seek whatever makes you feel good and makes you feel happy to indulge in whatever suits you best. We live in the age of authenticity. And we oftentimes bite back at people who insult us and we climb over others to get what we want, chasing that, that happiness. And what happens though when, when life disappoints? What happens when people disappoint us? Sometimes we go inward into self-despair or maybe we believe lies from the enemy that sound like this, you're not good enough. You're not lovable. You'll never overcome this. Insidious lies that can sometimes sound like truths. The temptation in this life is the reality is this as a believer, the temptations never truly go away while we walk this earth. We uh, believe and see all throughout scripture that we have three enemies to our soul. We've discussed this before, but the three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the three work together and interplay with one another. Our running theory is this, that the devil, the enemy, the accuser, Satan himself, the literal devil, will plant or attempt to uh, afflict our minds with deceitful ideas. Ideas like, you should eat the donut, right? <laughs> you deserve the donut. And then those desires, or those ideas rather, play to our disordered desires of our flesh. We all have cravings. Our body wants the donut. 
We want to taste that sweet, sweet flavor and that delicious fried bread or however donuts are made. Our flesh gives into that. And then finally, those things are normalized in a sinful society. The world says, everybody's eating donuts. It's fine. By the way, we had friends from church come and bring us donuts yesterday morning, and they were delicious. Um, But I use that silly example to illustrate, regardless of what the temptation is, the enemy will try to use the weaknesses of the flesh, and the world just perpetuates temptation. We are in a struggle. And I believe this is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray with that that famous final line of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. Today we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 4. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or uh, on your phones, they'll be on the screen as well. The context here we already shared. The context uh, from the book of Matthew we shared earlier, but we're going to be in Luke, is that Jesus had just finished being baptized by John the Baptist and a dove descended on him, the spirit, and the father's voice was heard for all when it said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That's the context. Chapter four, verse one, this is what happens next. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the time, end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, Satan says. If you've been in the Christian struggle long enough, you know that the devil rarely fights fair. He oftentimes goes after us in our moments of weakness and our moments of uh, mental exhaustion in the moments of chaotic seasons of life. And he uses those seasons to try and pounce on us at the opportune moment. And here Jesus is likely very hungry, not likely, it says it. He's very hungry, but he's been fasting. It's a good kind of hunger, likely to honor the father and draw closer to him. He's doing a spiritual discipline and the devil's temptation is one of the flesh. Just give in and eat. How does Jesus respond? Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. This is far more significant than we realize. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter eight. This is Moses addressing the Israelites, God's chosen people. He's giving them instruction and reminders before they enter into the land that was promised to them. These are critical, critical moments for the Israelites. And Moses is reminding them, Deuteronomy 8, 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years? To humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you, and here's the quote, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, who can finish it, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, So the Lord your God disciplines you. So here what we see is that Jesus isn't just, you know, 
giving a statement back to the, the devil by saying man does not live on bread alone. What he's doing is he's, he's recalling to mind scripture from memory. He's recalling it and applying it to his situation. In other words, the Israelites, they were in the wilderness 40 years, enduring hardship, enduring real hunger. Not only that, but they did it so that they could be tested and humbled. And finally, it was because the, the God, who's a loving father, doesn't discipline his children because he doesn't like them. He disciplines them because he loves them. Do you see how that lesson is directly applicable to what Jesus was going through in the wilderness? Jesus was hungry. Jesus was being tested. The same word for tempted is tested in the Greek. Jesus was being tried. He was hungry. He was wondering perhaps what the father was up to. And yet he recalls and applies Deuteronomy chapter 8 to his own circumstance. It's a brilliant example of how Jesus is using scripture. And so I want to give you today on your worship guide three necessary or three necessities to counter temptation that we can learn from Jesus. I may not get through every fill in today. Bear with me as we uh, go and adapt and I move quickly. Uh, first and foremost, the first necessity is knowing and applying truth. Knowing and applying truth. Jesus, is, this is exactly what he did in this situation. Um, when I grew up in church, my father was a, a pastor. And so I heard this story about the wilderness. And the lesson I always took away as a kid was sort of like, memorize scripture so that if you ever hear the devil's voice, you can just like talk back to him real quick and then he'll leave you alone. <laughs> um, it was almost like the devil's going to quiz you. And so you have to have like the right answer memorized. And there's nothing wrong with memorization. In fact, I, I believe in speaking that out loud at times. That's, that's good. But for me, it was almost the idea of like, the devil's going to cast spells at you and then you cast counter spells right back, you know, or like some sort of debate or we use scripture to ward off bad juju or something like that. But what Jesus is doing here, I believe, is that he's applying Deuteronomy to what he's going through. Wilderness, humility, God's provision, the Father's loving discipline. You see, church, knowing truth without applying it keeps us stuck in cycles of temptation. A, a man who knows what he ought to do but doesn't do it, it's like a man who looks in the mirror and then he walks away and forgets what he looks like. It, it, he's double-minded. Knowing what you're supposed to do but, then not, but not actually applying it is, is agony for a believer. Think about it. That, that's, that's what the enemy uses when he's saying, you know, you know better, you know you shouldn't be doing that, and yet here you are, you're still doing it. Knowing and applying truth is necessary. Knowing truth without applying it keeps us stuck. Knowing truth without applying it is like chewing your food but never swallowing, right? Oh, I, I know God's truth. I agree with it. I chew on it. Mm, that tastes good. Yeah, God, I know it in my mind. I have the right theology. I have the right belief statements. Mm, that tastes good. But we never actually swallow it and apply it. We never actually allow its sustenance and nutritional value to drive us and give us energy and give us life and allow us to do something useful. Knowing and applying scripture. Because willpower alone isn't enough to overcome temptation. How many of you guys have learned that in your many, many walks walking with the Lord? Willpower alone is not enough to overcome temptation. Rather, we need a firm foundation in scripture, a biblical worldview like Christ. We need to know truth. Psalms uh, 119 puts it this way. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
We continue on in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here the devil tempts Jesus with the allure of authority and splendor and kingdoms and glory. And he even uses scripture. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest place of the temple. If you are the son of God, there's that line again, that little trick of the devil, that little questioning voice like in the garden. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command the angels concerning you to guard and guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put your Lord, the Lord, your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You see here, when the devil's offering the kingdoms to, the, to Jesus, he's offering Jesus to, be, to take his authority in a way that he was never meant to take. What we see here is that Jesus was facing the temptation to, to take what was rightly his in the wrong way. The world belongs to Christ. Everything was made in him and through him. But Jesus' way was not to come in and swoop in with authority, grabbing and taking what was his. Rather, Jesus' way was to come in with service, sacrifice, and death. And so we see the, the second necessity to counter temptation, church, is this. Humility. Humility. If you are the son of God, is the exact opposite of what the father had just spoken. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We need to have humility in order to battle back against temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 puts it this way. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Someone say amen to that. Amen. If you think you're standing firm, it says, be careful that you do not fall. Jesus's way was one of humility. Think about it. Before this uh, passage even took place, Jesus had already come as a baby, a baby, as in like pooping in his own diaper. Okay. We don't like to think about that, but it probably happened. Okay. He had already come as a baby. He allowed John the Baptist to baptize him. And then he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Mark's gospel uses a little bit more forceful language. Mark's gospel says he was driven to the wilderness by the Spirit. As in, this was a necessary but not fun thing that he had to do, is, what, is the impression we get from Scripture. And he humbled himself in obedience to the Father to say, Father, not my will, but what? But your will be done. The same prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was crushed and pressed in upon. Not my will, but your will be done. It takes humility. Let me put it this way, church. Believing you're above temptation or believing that the enemy somehow can't influence your mind, those are recipes for disaster. 
If you believe you're above temptation, you've already lost. Can I say it that way? You've already lost. None of us, none of us, you saw in that video, none of us are above temptation. And none of us are above the enemy's schemes. Why do you think scripture talks so many times about being on guard, standing firm, being aware, being vigilant, being watchful. The enemy prowls. He loves to steal, kill, and destroy. If we for a moment think, no, my, my, my mind is a fortress. The enemy can't possibly affect the way I think or plant little thoughts in my mind. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm above that. I'm, I'm too logical for that. Get real. <laughs> None of us are above that. Myself included. No matter how much I may like to think I am. Okay. None of us are above it. And so if you think you are, you've already lost. That's an, that's an open gate for the wolf to come in, okay? And I speak from experience on that. And so the second one is humility. The third one is this. Necessity in order to overcome temptation, church, is being full of the Spirit. Being full of the Spirit. Check this out. I love this. You may have not caught on this, but uh, in the very beginning of this, uh, this section of pas or this passage of Scripture in Luke, before he goes out in the wilderness, what does it say? Next slide. It says, Jesus, full of the what? Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then at the end of this passage, I never caught on to this until this week. At the end of this passage, right afterwards, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the what? Power of the Spirit. So let me say it this way. Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Spirit, and he left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He went in in obedience to God, full of the Spirit, and he left having overcome with the power of the Spirit. So believers, church today, if you hope to overcome temptation in your life, you must too be full of the Spirit. Do you want that in your life? I hope you do. It is not by our strength alone that we can overcome temptation. Willpower only gets us so far. We must have the Spirit guiding and helping us. But... The Spirit won't do it without our consent. St. Augustine put it this way, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. What I'm saying is there's a partnership. Who does the heavy lifting? God does the heavy lifting. <laughs> he probably does what? I don't know, 90%, 95%, but that, but that 5% belongs to us. That willing surrender, that willingness to say, not my will, but your will be done. That willingness to say, like, I am not above temptation, God. I'm not above this trial that I'm going through. I need you, Spirit, to intervene now. We need to be full of the Spirit. I could preach a whole sermon on this, um, and someday we, we might, but I want to just say this. Being full of the, the Spirit starts with wanting and asking for it. you you got to want it, and you got to ask for it. The Lord's not just going to come on you in that way without you wanting it. Uh, I find this so interesting that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that he consented to do that. John consented. He had to consent to Jesus and baptize Jesus. In the same way, we have to consent to the Lord if we want to be used by him. We need to allow the Spirit to do that work in us, to be filled by him. Would you just ask and say, Lord, would you fill me to the full measure the full measure of everything that you have for me. We want that, God. We want to see you do amazing things. 
but God won't force his spirit on an unwilling participant. Are you open to that? I hope so. But I want to give you a caution as well with that. Because if you allow the spirit into your life, the fullness of the spirit, uh, he might mess your life up pretty darn good in the best way. Scary way, hard ways, but in the best way. And so the caution here, this church, the caution is this. We need to remember that the same spirit that leads us beside quiet waters may also lead us into the wilderness to be tested, to be tried, to see what's really inside of us. Not to say temptation comes from God, that's not what I'm saying, but he allows us to go through that to reveal something about what's really in our heart. I had a friend uh, once tell me that he was hesitant to go all in with God once again because he feared that something bad would happen, that there would be some sort of retaliation if he did. And the truth is that part of that was probably the enemy trying to lie to him and trick him and tell him, you know, you don't want to do that. You know, the other shoe's going to drop if you do that or something bad's going to happen. But the other part of it was half true, right? Like it might get harder. You might get on the enemy's radar screen. Life might get tougher if you go all in with God. You just got to determine if it's worth it or not. That's what you got to decide. And I can't decide that for you. Only you can. Is God's plan for your life better than your own plans for your life? Is God's way, Jesus' way, the way of sacrifice and humility and righteousness, is that better than, than sin? <laughs> the allure of it, the temptation. I believe it is. 1 Corinthians, I want to encourage you, 1 Corinthians 10, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Repeat this after me. He will also provide a way out. Say that. He will also provide a way out. God doesn't create mazes without exits in our life. He may let us go through the mazes of life, but he promises to be a lamp unto our feet, to be with us. Even though I walk through what? The darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Ooh, I just need to sit in that for a second. <laughs> Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus could endure the wilderness because he knew and trusted the Father's voice. When the Father said, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Can I ask you something, church? Um, I want to ask you, do you trust that the Father has good intentions for you? Some of you, man, some of you are probably going through serious uh, seasons of struggle and burden and testing and crushing right now. And I just want to encourage you that God can produce good from that. Do you trust him that he will, though? 
I know the temptation when we go through hard seasons of life, when we go through wilderness, dry, hungry seasons of life, the temptation is for us to say, God, where are you? Why haven't you answered my prayer yet? Why haven't you listened or, or why haven't you shown up? Why did you even let me go through this in the first place? And I don't wanna minimize those questions whatsoever this morning at all. You need to sit with God and have those honest conversations with him about it. But I am here to say that it all comes down to asking yourself the question, do I trust that the father is still good and that his intentions for me are useful and beautiful and good too? Do you trust that? That he's still on your side, that he still loves you, that he still calls you his child, still calls you beloved. And for some of you, you have been faithful for decades. Some of you have known Christ and you know the sweetness of his presence. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for years and years and years. You are full of the spirit. You have wonderful disciplines baked into your life. You are a loving person and, and you are going through all of that. And can I tell you something? You still might be going through some of the hardest struggle and temptation you've ever faced right now. You can still be full of the spirit and be going through the most difficult seasons of your life. Jesus did, Jesus did. And so I wanna encourage you today. It's not because you're doing something wrong, it's because you're doing something right. It's because God is good and he's faithful and he's using that struggle to produce something even more. Aren't you glad that we worship a good God who's never quite done with us, who always keeps working on us and building in us, that his spirit never gives up on us, that he just keeps pouring love and pouring encouragement and pouring discipline and pouring all sorts of testing on us because we can overcome that testing. We consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because God's doing something in that. That wine that's being squeezed out of you matters and it's being used for something good. And if it's not today, it's gonna to be used for something down the road. And if it's not down the road, it's gonna be used for eternity in some way or another, because God's kingdom will advance. And if you let him, he'll use you to do that, amen? He's gonna use it. He's gonna use it today. I hope you know that and I hope you believe that. Do you trust that his intentions are good for you though? Jesus held on to that, that voice. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I pray as a church, we would take the three enemies of the soul seriously, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I pray that we would learn and apply God's truth, staying completely humble, and that we would invite the spirit and the fullness of the spirit to live in and through us so that we may live a life of righteousness in him. I pray as a church that we would not shy away from the spirits driving us into the wilderness, but that we would welcome it, that we would welcome it, that we would do our own wilderness wrestling, remembering, of course, that we're a part of a larger body, that we're a part of a church who loves you, and that you have community and you have people praying with you and that are here for you, and that ultimately the Father sees you and loves you dearly. I close with James chapter one, verses 12 through 15, or just 12. James writes, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, that's the goal. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes, run the race marked out for you. 
whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever struggle it is you're going through, keep going through it. The only way out is through. You can do it. Jesus is with you. The Father's for you. Let's pray.